We begin our reading today in verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy strength and with all of thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I would really like to take the next hour just talking about what I've read so far, but instead of doing that, I want us to continue on and to think seriously about what follows next. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him, that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. This is one of those stories that we ought to read often and study deeply because there's so much more here than what we have time to talk about and we could spend hours studying it. But I want you to focus this morning on the Good Samaritan. Uh, This is a picture of what Jesus did, and it provides an example of what we ought to do. A lot of times we just don't get the picture, kind of like the little boy that had gone to Sunday school and he came home and his mother asked him that day what the lesson was about, and he said, well, it was about the Good Samaritan. And so she said, well, uh, what does that story teach us? And the little boy said, well, it means that uh, when we're in trouble, others ought to come and help us. You know, and a lot of people get things totally backwards because, you know, that's as far as some people ever think is who's going to help me. And we never think about, you know, the importance of us doing what Jesus did when he came to us and found us half dead, so to speak and ministered to us and met our needs. So let's focus on this Good Samaritan this morning. Notice in verse number 33, I want you to notice that he saw. 
it says he saw him and had compassion on him. And, and notice that this opportunity came during the normal course of events. He had not, as far as we know, he had not gone out searching for someone to help. I have no idea where he was going, but it was as he was going, whatever he was doing, suddenly it says, as he journeyed, as he journeyed, he saw a man in need. Now, this doesn't set him apart from the priest and from the Levite because they saw the man also. The difference is found in the fact that this man had compassion on the injured person. The priest and the Levite saw the man, but to them he was an obstacle to be avoided. But to the good Samaritan, he was an opportunity. You know, and that's the way that we ought to look at our encounters with other people because, let me tell you, they're not by accident. So many times we think, you know, well, uh, this, this or that just happened, but it really didn't. Listen, if God knows the number of hairs on your head, if God sees the sparrow fall, if God is the one that is holding all of the universe in its course, controlling everything, mark it down. There are no accidents with God. So many times we look at an opportunity as something that is interfering with what we had planned to do and it was something we don't have time for. But this man, as he was going wherever it might be, he saw a man that was in need. But he didn't just see the man. I want you to notice that he also stopped. And the Bible doesn't tell us about the purpose of his journey. You know, it might have been that he was on business. And sometimes business is of extreme importance. You know, we've got these deadlines to meet. and We've just got to get this done. I mean, today we can't miss the deadline, you see, because it's business. It's important. And, and it might have been pleasure. I don't know. It might be that this fellow had worked long and hard and was in need of a vacation. And he finally thought, wow, I'm finally going to get some R&R. I'm going to get away. I'm going to relax. I'm just at my wit's end. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I just need a vacation more than anything else. So, So we don't know what it was, but it really doesn't matter because the point is this man altered his plans to be interrupted, allowed them to be interrupted, altered his plan. Why? So he could meet the needs of this man, of a man that he doesn't know anything about, by the way. He considered this man's pain to be more, more important than his plans. You know, it's a great lesson in that for us. When we think about the pain and the difficulties that others are going through, there's so many times that we're more interested in things that are pleasurable to us and our plans, that we don't want to interrupt any of those things to reach out and meet the needs of that other person. We all live in a rat race today, don't we? It doesn't make any difference what you're doing. Uh, You're doing it fast. Somebody says, well, you know, I just don't have time for this or that. Oh, no, you've got plenty of time, and you're spending it somewhere. You're doing something There's nobody just sitting absolutely idle every day. We're all doing something, but is that something that we're doing really of that great importance? And whenever we are suddenly brought face to face with a person in need, are we willing to interrupt 
our plans, to change our plans in order to minister to that person. You know, I don't need to tell you, Jesus was the perfect example, right? And do you realize that he was always busy, but he was never in a hurry? You, you, you never read about Jesus that, you know, he just had to do this and he just had to be there at a certain time or he was too rushed to meet the needs of people. He was always more interested in the needs of people than he, you know, whatever it was that he might have had on his agenda. So this man saw the situation and he stopped to investigate. But then I want you to notice that he stooped down. Because everything I've said so far wouldn't be enough if that's all that he did. Had he just seen the fellow laying there near death's door by the side of the road and stopped and looked at him and said, Boy, you know, somebody worked that poor guy over. He is really in bad shape. If somebody doesn't help him, he's liable to die. And, and, and then he could have just rode on, but he didn't do that. He stopped. He observed what the situation was. But that wouldn't have been enough. But notice it says, verse 34, he went to him. That means he had to dismount, right? And he had to stoop down to where the man was. By the way, if we're going to help people, we've got to get ourselves where they are. We've got to get in a position that we're able to be of help to them. And so many times we let selfishness and pride get in the way. But here was a man that didn't care whether this fellow was a Jew, didn't care what he was, didn't care what he had done. All he saw was a person that was in need, somebody that was down and out, and he was willing to stop and to stoop down in a spirit of humility and help that person. You see, that's why we never really amount to anything by way of serving God if we don't have a spirit of humility. Because that enables us to get right down where people live. As long as we think we're better than they are, you know, we'll never do anything for God. You know, he might have surmised in his mind, well, you know, we reap what we sow, and this fellow probably messed with the wrong guy. He probably owed him some money. Or it might be that this guy was just lazy and no good and bumming around over the country. If he'd been at work on a job or something, this wouldn't have happened to him. And there's so many times we just suppose that somebody got what they deserve. We just suppose they made their bed, now let them sleep in it. It's all their fault. We look at people that are addicted to drugs, for example, or whatever the particular sin might be. And, and too many times we just write them off as, well, you know, they don't have anybody to blame but themselves. Well, you know, that might be right, but that's really not much help to the, to the person, is it? To just say, well, you know, they got there on their own. They can get out of the situation on their own. And we've got to be willing to stoop down, get down where people are and minister to them. But then notice he didn't stop with that because he could have got down off of his, off of his beast and got down and, and tried to converse with the man. You know, he could have looked the situation over. But I want you to notice that he actually served this man. This is what set him apart from the priest and the Levite. They went by on the other side. And we could talk a lot about those two fellows. But I mean, of all people, they should have been the ones more than anybody to minister aid to this guy. And they just walked right on by. 
But the Good Samaritan, a man that the Jews despised, somebody that they hated, this man who in their mind was the least likely of all people to demonstrate love to others, this man stopped what he was doing, got down off of his animal, right down where the man was, and basically saved him from dying. You know, a lot of times when we think about Christian service, what do we think about? We think about preaching. We think about teaching. We think about witnessing to others. We think about the need to pray. And all of those things are important. But let me tell you, all of those things alone sometimes are not enough because serving God involves more than just preaching, teaching, praying, giving, witnessing, and things like that. There's other things that needs to be done. Who's going to do that, you see? And if we're not reaching out to minister to the needs of other people, we're not really serving the Lord. Over in Matthew chapter number 25, the Lord makes this abundantly clear. In verse number 35, He said, For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, and naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me, and I was in prison, and you came unto me. And then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. You see, you can't serve God without serving other people. And there's so many times, you know, people say, well, you know, I would love to do this or I would love to do that, but, you know, they... They put limitations on what God can do with their life. They're not willing to serve in the trenches, so to speak. We stop and think about everything that's going on here today. We think about those involved in the sound room back there. We think about the musicians. We think about the ushers. We think about all of the different people that are working in different ways to serve the Lord. By the way, and that's just what we do here. But we really, listen, we really launch out whenever we leave here. That's why we often say, the little sign by the door, wherever it's at now, says you're now entering the mission field. And we need to think about that. When we leave here, that we're entering into a mission field and we're to go out and to serve others. It doesn't make any difference. Listen, those of you that teach Sunday school, you you can teach those children so they can quote every verse of the Bible. They might be able to stand up and debate theological issues with the theologians. They might, you know, have a great knowledge of the Bible. But if they're not helping anybody, they're not doing any good. All of that is totally useless if we don't put it into practice in serving the Lord. So this man didn't just stop, he didn't just look, he got down off of his beast right down where the man was and was serving the man and supplied his needs. Notice in verse number 35, it says he poured in oil and wine and, and then after that he takes the man to the end, spends the night there with him 
And not only that, but then he says, look, I've got to go, but I'm going to leave some money. And as I understand it, he left enough to support the fellow for two or three weeks. And he said, you know, if that doesn't get him back on his feet when I come back through, he said, I'll give you the rest of it. I'll make it up to you. This, this is the principle of the extra mile. You know, so many times we just do enough to get by. Uh, you know, no more than we have to. We don't want to embarrass ourselves, and so we got to do something. So we do just enough to get by. But here's a man that did more than what was expected from anyone. And I don't believe that we've done what we should until we've done all we can. God's never satisfied with the job half done. If we're going to do it for the Lord, it ought to be the very best that we can possibly do. I, I just want to throw a raging fit when somebody gets up here, for example, to sing and says, now, uh, you know, it's my, my time to sing. I, I'd forgot all about it till I got here today. I haven't had time to, I haven't had time to practice. So y'all don't listen. Just pray for me as I try to remember the words. Of the, sit down and shut up. I mean, look, if you're not ready, if, if you haven't prepared yourself, don't get up here and give God just the leftovers of your life. If you can't do the very best you possibly can, then it's not good enough to offer to Him. Boy, if you don't believe that, read Malachi chapter number 1. I, I mean, the Lord just told him, look, I'm going to reject everything you do. Get, and He talked about their music. He called it noise. I don't want to hear that noise. Just get it out of here. You're going to give me less than your best? I don't want any of it. We think about this building and all that God's done for us. And I hope we learn a lesson that God, you know, has provided this for us. We need to keep it looking as good as we possibly can. We all understand that things are going to happen. That That's just part of life, right? You can't have a ministry to children without some kid writing on a wall sooner or later. There are going to be things that are happening. But we can do the very best that we possibly can to make sure that we take care of what God has given us. And I'm not talking about just, you know, the material building. I'm talking about everything that we do for the Lord. This man went the extra mile, took the fellow to an end, is supplying his needs the best that he can. In doing all of this, notice verse number 35 again. In doing all of this, he set an example for us. Verse 35. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to them to, uh, to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Now notice, which now, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto the, him, Go and do thou likewise. You know, I realize that we can't help the whole world, but we can help someone. It's impossible for us to meet every need, but we can meet someone's need somewhere. And we don't have an opportunity to do a lot of things, do we? But when God opens a door through our contact with other people, we need to take advantage of it. And he said, notice, go and do likewise. That's a command. 
That's not a mere request. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. He said, I want you to go and do do likewise. That's why it's so very important that we understand what this story is all about. Not like the little boy said, it's about when we get in trouble that somebody come and help us. But rather it's about us going to help those that are in trouble. Let me tell you, everything the Good Samaritan was, Jesus is. Think about that. He's the perfect example. He is conscious of our needs. Not only that, but He's concerned about our problems and He's capable of meeting them. The Bible talks about the Lord looking down from heaven and He sees us in our state, in our deplorable condition. He sees us as sinners lost and undone, doomed and damned to an eternal hell. And He cared so much that He wrapped Himself in a robe of flesh and condescended from heaven and came down to earth and allowed Himself to be nailed to that old rugged cross and died for us. You see, in doing that, He did for us what the Good Samaritan did for the man. He saved that man's life. Jesus saved our soul as a result of it. Let me ask you, do you even know what your need is this morning? Think about that. I'm certain that man laying there alongside of the road, had he been able to even speak then, I'm certain that he knew what his need was. But so many people have no idea what their real need is. I'm talking about people that you want God to supply your needs. I mean, you, you want God to pay your bills. You want God to keep you healthy. You want God to keep your family together. You've got this long list of things that you want God to do, but you don't even realize what your deepest need is. And if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, no uncertain terms, your great need is salvation. You don't need to be cured from your cancer. You don't need somebody to come along and to pay your bills. More than anything else, you need to be born again. If you've been saved, your great need is to be like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, He is our example. What He has done for you is what you ought to do for others. You see, this is basically a love story, right? Here is a man that's going along his way. We don't know where. But he sees a man half dead laying alongside the road. He stops everything else he's doing. Gets down off of his beast and ministers to that man and provides his need. You see, this is all a lesson on love. It's teaching us about what the Lord has done for us and what we ought to do for others. There are at least four things I want you to think about in regards to real genuine love. First of all, it avoids prejudice by accepting others. Here was a man willing to help another man without any inquiry as to where he was from. We think about the, we think about the Levite and we think about the priest. And knowing their self-righteous attitude, knowing they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, and you say, well, what if the guy was a Jew? Well, just turned it all around, and here's the Samaritan, and, you know, basically had nothing to do with the Jews whatsoever. But this fella didn't care what side of the tracks he came from. 
Here was a man that absolutely did not care what this man had done in the past. Didn't care what his track record was. All he knew was here is somebody that is in need of help and I love him enough that I'm willing to help him and to put aside that prejudice. Now, if you go back to the lawyer, you know, that comes to the Lord and says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And you'll notice that whenever the Lord talked to him about that and he gave a list of things there, by the way, said, love the Lord thy God, you know, and, and not, not only that, but he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, you know, if you do that on those two things, you know, as all of the law and the prophets rest upon that. And Jesus said, you do that. Yeah, you'll. You'll, uh, you'll have eternal life. Well, the fact of the matter is none of us can do that. And that shows us our need of God. And so the fellow then trying to justify himself. Now, remember, he's just trying to find fault with Jesus. That's all he's doing. And so he says, okay, then who is my neighbor? Now, that's what the Lord's trying to show him here, who your neighbor, your neighbor is the person in need, folks, who, whoever that might be. And let me tell you, sometimes, sometimes your foe is your family. It doesn't make any difference who the neighbor is because it's whoever is in need in your life. Jesus said, a man's foe shall be they of his own household. What a shame and a tragedy that is to, you know, to not care enough about other people to reach out to their needs reminds me of the old farm boy that I guess he was up in Iowa somewhere and had a had a load of corn and he got caught in a rut and he flipped that load of corn over and so there there he was standing there looking at that mess and one of the one of the neighbors come by and said uh, said to him said boy you know you you got a serious problem now that's going to take some time to you know, to get over that. And and boy said, yeah, I said, Paul's not going to be happy about this. And he said, I'll tell you what, son. He said, why don't you just come on over to my house where we're getting ready to, to have supper and you come over and eat a good supper with us and drink a glass of iced tea. And after that, he said, I'll come back and, and I'll help you with that load of corn. He said, yeah, but he said, Paul's not going to be happy. He said, oh, come on, your Paul will be all right. I've known him for years. He'll be fine. Come on. He said, well, all right, if you say so. So off they go to the neighbor's house and sit down and have their meal. And the uh, boy said, well, you know, i got to be getting back now. I said, Paul's not going to be happy. And he said, by the way, son, I said, where is your Paul? And he said, he's under the wagon. And, uh, <laughs> you know, listen, that so many times we see somebody that's down and out you know, and what do we do? We're off eating supper somewhere. We're off doing this, doing that, entertaining ourselves rather than reaching out and ministering to those that are in need. You know, if you look on down and really examine verse number 36 especially, and you're going to notice that Jesus flips this whole thing around because the question that he proposes there shifts the focus. Now listen carefully. It shifts the focus from who is your neighbor to who will be a neighbor. Now I want you to get this because the question as to who is a neighbor 
was not the important question. The important question is, who will be a neighbor? And that's why he said, now which of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him? That's not what the lawyer had asked. He said, who is our neighbor? And Jesus said, it doesn't make a difference who your neighbor is. Who will be a neighbor? Far too many times we are so prejudiced that we don't want to reach out to certain people, you know, and consequently they're off of the help list. Secondly, love not only avoids a prejudiced spirit, love will assist those in need. You know, a lot of times the most common excuse I think that we use when somebody expresses to us the dilemma they're in is, well, you know, Bo, I'm so sorry to hear that, and I'll be praying for you. Now, look, that's well and good. But a lot of times people need more than just prayer. They need a strong arm. They need a strong back. They need somebody to help them in their time of need, not somebody to just say, you know, well, I'll pray for you and pat them on the back and walk away. And real love will assist those that are in need. Not only that, but real love will adapt to the need. I want you to notice the Good Samaritan didn't stop and give him a lecture. He could have said, look, fella, I don't know exactly what happened to you, but you've got to learn to be more careful. This is dangerous territory you're traveling in. You, you've got to travel at a different time during the day. You've got to be more observant. You know, and he could have just given him a long lecture about safety issues, but he didn't do that. He could have left him some literature. Tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here, here's a here's a track from our church. You know, and the map's on the back of it. If you ever needing help, why well, you know, come on down and see us. That doesn't really help him a whole lot right then, does it? Nor did he give him a list of places where he could get help. Now remember, he's standing there. He looks down at the fellow. He said, man, you are a mess. But I, I've got good news for you. You got, you got a pencil and a piece of paper? Well, just remember this. If you go, if you go down to, you know, and give him a list of places that, that help others. Let me tell you, if God's people are not going to help others, where in the world are they going to find it? And there's so many times that we refuse to minister to those in need, refuse to help our own family and treat them like they're enemies or something and have the audacity to turn around and brag about being a Christian. Love adapts to the need. And lastly, love anticipates the need. You know, all of this would have been a wonderful story, right? You know, if he had got the fellow and put him on his own beast, taken him to the end and said, here, here, I'm going to drop you off and leave you here. But, but he didn't do that. He anticipated that, that he was going to have some future needs. And so he gave the man enough money to last however long, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be. The point is he... He was willing to take care of the man's future needs. He's anticipating. And that, that's what love does. It anticipates the needs of other people. Yeah, I'm so glad that God anticipated the needs in my life. Nothing ever surprises God. 
Regardless of what it is, God is already provided for it. He already knows all about it, and He's there and ready to help in a time of need. And if you've been a Christian very long, it's easy for you to look back and to think of all of the things that God has done in your life that has met your needs, right? Am I right? And you think, boy, there, I remember that time that I was so down, I didn't know what I was going to do. There didn't seem to be any way out. There wasn't anybody offering to help me. I just didn't know what in the world I was going to do. And just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God provided my need. You know why? Because God was aware of what your need was. He had anticipated that need and made provision for it. And the Lord says, I want you to go and to do likewise. I want you to go out here in a world that is lost and dying, a world without Christ, and I want you to do for them what I've done for you. Let that sink in a little while. Because I'll tell you, there was no reason whatsoever for God to love me. None. I'm talking about my personal merit. I couldn't look back and say, well, Lord, you ought to love me. You ought to send your son, let him die on the cross to pay my sin debt because, you know, I've done this or I've done that. My intentions were good. No, there wasn't anything on my list. Listen, God loved me unconditionally. And that's the way he loves each and every one of us, unconditionally. You can't do anything to stop God from loving you. And he loved you so much that he went the extra mile. He didn't just look down from heaven and say, well, I'll rain manna and quail upon you. No, he didn't do that. He sent his only begotten son and gave heaven's best for the very worst among us and provided our needs. And out of gratitude for what he's done for us, if nothing else, we ought to be willing to reach out to those that are around us We can't do what Jesus did. We can't walk on water. We can't raise the dead. We can't work miracles. We can't do all of that. But I'll tell you, we can give someone a cup of cold water in his name. We can visit someone in a nursing home or in a prison or wherever it might be. We can minister to them and do what we can where we are while we can. He commanded us to do that. Go And do thou likewise. Let's all stand together. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your loving kindness, for the fact that you you foresaw our every need. And not not only did you see our need, but you cared enough to provide the solution in that you gave your Son. And we're so thankful, Lord, that our needs has been met in Him. Not only the needs in the past, but the things that are going on in our life at the present. To know that You're there with us every moment. To know that our future is secure because Your promises cannot fail. And I just pray this morning that You'll help us to set that kind of an example for others. Lord, help us to emulate your example. Help us to do what you did and to be a blessing and a help to somebody else. Help us to understand, really understand what serving you is all about. Help us, Heavenly Father, to realize there's some folks 
They don't need a preacher. They need a plumber. They just need somebody to get down in the trenches where they are and help them out. There are some folks, Lord, in the nursing homes that can't get out and go and do. But Lord, they would sure love for somebody to care enough to go there and to just sit down to hold their hand and look them in the eye and tell them that, that we love them. Help us to minister to them just like you ministered to us. For we pray in Jesus' precious name. Let's stand.